This morning's sermon text is from Amos 4. Please read along with me, verses 1 through 13. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it would not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For before, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Good morning. Have you ever been guilty of ignoring warning signs in your life? There are many indicators that give us a heads up that something is not quite right. This can be anything from a feeling in your body of of pain, to an outburst of anger in a relationship, to the check engine light coming on in the car. There have been many times in my life where I have been particularly dumb to ignore warning signs. When I was thinking about some of my past follies, one of them that stuck out quite clear uh, was this time that I felt this strange pain in my mouth. And most might feel some pain and they may say, hey, I want to go get a professional to look at this, but I didn't think that way. I thought maybe I can just push through, ignore this pain, eventually it would go away. You know, it takes money, time, and effort to go to the dentist, and I wasn't willing to invest that. So the pain did not go away. It only got worse, and it resulted in me having, me having to leave work. And I just remember the pain getting so bad that all I could do was lay down on the bathroom floor. 
And later I looked in the mirror, I saw the back of my mouth, and I knew that something was not right. All four of my wisdom teeth had been coming in for weeks. And all four of them were stuck in my mouth. They had been impacted. They had no room to grow in my mouth. It turns out this is why I was in pain. Thankfully, the dentist was able to remove all four of them. And after a while, it was amazing to just walk around living normal life without shooting pain randomly in your mouth. Ignoring warning signs, warning signs will only lead to further pain. This pain just hurt me. But when we look back in history at some of the greatest tragedies, for many of them, there were, there were prior warning signs that were ignored, that could have been listened to. I didn't know this, but I found out this week that the ownership of the famous Titanic received several ice warnings leading up to days before the voyage. Many of these warnings just never made it to the captain of the ship, and they proceeded with their journey as planned, resulting in 1,500 people losing their lives when the ship ran into an iceberg. In 1986, NASA launched the Challenger Space Shuttle. And the day of the launch, several engineers, they were very nervous, they were concerned about the cold weather and its effect that it had on the plastic O-rings that sealed the ship's rocket boosters. And their warnings they gave them, and they were not listened to. And a little after over a minute, the Challenger ch Shuttle took off. It exploded as millions watched in horror and seven astronauts lost their lives. These tragedies could have been prevented only had these warnings been listened to. These warning signs, they may not feel like something good or, or news that we want to hear. No one wants to hear that their grand voyage is postponed due to ice or, or that their rocket launch is delayed or, or that they need to go to the doctor. But warning signs are truly gifts because properly addressed, they can prevent tragedy. They can stop further pain and issues from growing and growing, becoming even bigger problems. And as we consider warning signs and the devastation that comes from ignoring them, let's turn our focus to the nation of Israel. Although God loved them, they had forsaken their God. In an effort to call them back, he sent them warning sign after warning sign, judgments after judgments, in hopes that they would turn and see their wicked ways and live for him once again. These warnings, they were a grace to them, a wake-up call, but they would not listen. So God, in his wisdom and in his great love, like a continual pain in the mouth, he has sent Amos, a shepherd to warn Israel's lost sheep and to let them know that the judgment that will be coming for them, this will be their last. They may have ignored all these prior warnings in their lives, but God will not let this abuse of His grace stand any longer. Let's pray today as we look at our lives, that we, as we hear from God, that we would not ignore his warnings. Let's pray. Dear God, we need you. We are dependent upon you for everything. Yet in ways that we are 
relying on self in ways that we have forsaken You, Lord, make them evident, God, that we might turn, that we might love You more, that we might serve You more faithfully, Lord. As we contemplate Your judgment on Your people, Lord, may we not see this as a time and place in the past, but we may see You as our living God now as Your people working in our lives for our good and for Your glory, even in hard and confusing ways. We need You, Lord. Amen. The realities we find in this text, they serve as the points in our sermon today. The first reality is being that the self-indulgence, self-indulgence is an offense to God's holiness. And we'll see this in verses 1-5. through five. And the second reality we see is that the abuse of grace will lead to devastation in verses 6-13. through 13. God's uh, self-indulgence an offense, is an offense to God's holiness in verses 1-5. through five. And the abuse of grace will lead to devastation in verses 6-13. through 13. Amos starts by addressing the wives of the house of Israel. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. You are on the mountain of Samaria who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. First off, yes, I just want to acknowledge he calls them cows. But this is not a diss track. Amos is not taking shots at the wives of Israel for being overweight. Bashan was a fertile place. It was east of the Jordan River. It's a place known for its great pasture lands. Known for its great abundance and its well-fed cattle. Like Idaho might be known for its potatoes or Georgia for its peaches. Bashan would have been known for its well-fed large cattle. We see this reference throughout the Bible. Psalm 22 says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. In Ezekiel, we see rams of lambs and he-goats of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. These were well-fed, high-quality bulls. And these wives, they had lived in great excess in Israel's capital city of Samaria living off the wealth of the land. All the while they lived in their abundance, they oppressed the poor and needy to further their wealthy lifestyle. In their pleasing of self, they oppressed the poor. They crushed the needy. We've seen in past chapters of Amos how they abused, how they abused the poor by selling them into slavery, by, by levying heavy fines in order to further their wealth off the backs of the poor. These women, they may not be guilty of the ones directly selling them into slavery, but they were guilty of the ones making the demands at home, demanding of their husband, indifferent to how their lavish lifestyles were sustained. They had no concern for others, but they only served themselves. Growing up, we would often play at my friend's house. And sometimes if we were too loud, his mom would give us money to go play video games in order to get us out of the house so that she could drink and uh, read her magazines and not be bothered by us noisy children. My, my friend's mom might have been right at home with these Sumerian women. Although we were guilty too because 
once we realized this, we started being loud on purpose to get money to go to the arcade or the movies. So that wasn't, that wasn't right of us. But being called the cows of Bashan, this would be an indictment of their selfish appetite. Today it would be more akin to calling them self-obsessed divas or the real housewives of Samaria. They sit around in luxury and leisure. They say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. Bossing around their husbands to bring them their wine. All they do is consume for themselves. God will not let their injustice stand. Because of their sinful ways, we see what awaits them in verses 2 and 3. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when you shall be, you take away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. First, God swears by His holiness. Holiness is the characteristic that makes God who He is. His defining attribute is His holiness. He's completely separate and distinct from us. He's perfect in all His ways and His righteousness. In Isaiah, we see great angelic beings crying out, praising God's name, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. This repetition is a superlative. It's elevating God's holiness to the maximum amount, the highest degree. In Him is found absolute moral purity. This defining attribute, holiness, is what He swears by, making it a certain outcome. This would be like water swearing by its wetness or, or fire by its heat. The Lord will always be faithful to His promises. In this case, it's both to restore and to purge His people. Purging them is what He is about to do. Their sinful self-indulgence is an offense to God's holiness. And it is by His holiness that He guarantees their fate. The days are coming when they will be taken away and being compared to another animal here, they will be taken away with hooks and with fish hooks. As a fish is dragged out of the water after a catch, these women will be dragged out of their comfortable homes. In the ancient Near East, captives in war, they were often led by ropes. And they would be attached to these hooks and they would then take these hooks and they would pierce their lips pierce their nose and have them strung in a line and lead them as captives, as prisoners, drag them around with these hooks on a line. And the prophecy of their coming judgment only continues in verse 3. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. The breaches mentioned, these would be parts of the city that were broken into. When the enemy came and attacked, the places where they could breach a walled, gated city, this is, they would be pulled out of there by these hooks, straight into exile. And they'll be cast out into Harmon. The meaning of Harmon here, we don't know uh, what this is referencing to. There's been many people theorizing that this is another mountain to the north, and some have said it's, it's a dung pit. And while it isn't clear to us, Amos' audience would have known exactly what he was referring to when he said Harmon. This would not have been a place we can tell from context clues 
that they desire to be. How does this example of these extravagant wives hit us this morning? Are any of us tempted to believe that the self-indulgent life is one of fulfillment? The self-indulgent life is one of joy? A life focused on our needs, our desires, our perceived rights? Is this what we are living for? I want to take a moment to remind us again that compared to many in this world, we live wealthy lives. I just imagine the wives of Samaria looking at our streaming services, looking at our refrigerators, at our wardrobes, at our liquor stores, in all of our abundance, and lusting after our lives. I can't help but wonder if they would be jealous of us today and all that we have. A guy I knew once, he had a friend visit from another country, and the whole time he was here, he couldn't stop raving about this store that he went to. He had never been there before. And this store sold everything that you could possibly imagine. And he went back to his country and he told his friends and family about this store. They couldn't wait to come to America to see this great store. The store that he spoke so highly of that he raved about turned out to be Walmart. Something that we see as an expectation of our everyday life. Some of you might even call it a poor man's target. I might have to apologize to my wife later for that. It's a lie to think that there is satisfaction to be found in our possessions. No matter what we have, no matter what we get, we will always want more. If these people had sought the spiritual wealth of the knowledge of God, they would have eternal riches. Instead, their greed drove them to live ultimately empty lives. We may not be oppressing others to acquire our wealth, such as these cows of Bashan, but it is all too easy for us to live for ourselves. If we're not fighting against it, we'll pursue our own selfish desires. These are our factory settings to be preoccupied with self. Our approach can easily be, what do I get out of this? Thinking about the ways that we can be served. Thinking about how we can be loved more. Instead of thinking, how can I serve others and and love others more? Our natural expectations without Christ's refinement, without the Holy Spirit calling us to a higher purpose, is to live for us. But the heart of self-pleasing offends the holiness of God. If you were to take a look at your aspirations, are they formed around service to self? and the things that please you? Or are your aspirations to live for something greater? The coming Assyrian invasion of Israel would take these people in the most indulgent and richest of circumstances and bring them down to to these these lows. As judgment for their sin, their sin against one another, their sin against the poor and needy, their sin against God, this sin cannot reside in the presence of His moral purity. 
And in this judgment of God, we just see such a vivid illustration of the uncertainty of our possessions. Our earthly possessions that we have, our resources and wealth, everything that we could desire. They, they had it all, but in the coming years, it would all be lost. This is not where our security is found. And the self-indulgence, we'll see, it actually moves into their worship of God. In verse 4, there's a tone and subject change. He tells them, come to Bethel and transgress. To Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Bethel was the site of the altar that Jeroboam had constructed. This altar had become an idol-filled alternative to Jerusalem, where the worship of many false gods were intermingled with the worship of God. And Amos speaks sarcastically. He tells them to continue in their sin of worshiping at this false altar. Gilgal was an important place in Jewish history. It was where Samuel had confirmed Saul as king. And he mockingly, Amos mockingly tells them to continue in their ways and only multiply their sins by going to these false places of worship. They would bring sacrifices every morning Every morning, when we see in Leviticus that they would only be required to bring sacrifices only once, or maybe at most three times a year, yet they would do it every day. We see in Deuteronomy 14, they're to bring tithes every three years. At the end of every, verse 28, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce the same year and lay it up within your towns. Three years was the expectation that they were given. But they would bring it every three days. In verse 5, Amos goes on to tell them, Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do. O people of Israel, declares your Lord God. The law required burning only of unleavened bread, but they thought it would be better to use leavened bread. Free will offerings were to be done in devotion to God, and they were to be done voluntary, not under compulsion, but between an individual and God. It was an intimate, personal, private thing, but they loved to let others know of their good works. They published them, and they proclaimed them. We may see these things that they are doing and think, what's the big deal? They were going above and beyond in many cases. They're doing extra. What's wrong with that? But in all these things, their worship is not really about God. It's about them. They're so deceived that they have brought their self-indulgent desires into their worship. They go often to the altars, not for God, but to be seen by others as holy and pious. They give sacrifices and tithes all the time to draw attention to themselves on their way to the altar. They thought that adding leavened bread was an added measure of appeasement to God, and it was a greater show of their devotion. But it was disobedience, and it was done out of their pride. They thought God was more interested in the sacrifice itself rather than the spiritual condition of his people. They did not love the Lord 
They did not, nothing proceeded from a grateful heart of what he had given them. They loved this sacrificial system more than they loved their neighbors. And their religion was totally devoid of repentance. Isn't it amazing just how self-deceived we can be? The very things meant to serve God in all His glory had become a part of their self-indulgent system to worship self. They created this society and a religion and they had organized it on the basis of human self-pleasing. They loved this ritual, but they were forsaking the purpose of the ritual. God is not impressed. He sees the heart behind the actions. It's such a good thing that God always sees the heart. He sees the truth. He sees our innermost thoughts and desires. Their motivations are known to Him. Our motivations are known to Him. 1 Samuel 16 we read, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He knows our heart posture behind our worship. Maybe today we can see this same mentality found in church shopping. We're having a consumeristic mindset looking around at churches, going to churches that give us the biggest advantage for business contacts or caters to our needs the best. Growing up, I remember at church sometimes, such a big deal was made about what people were wearing at church. You know, it was a good time for everyone to dress up, look their best. And the focus at church could easily, easily be more about the social scene than about the worship of God. May we look at our own hearts to be sure that we are not going through the motions of religious ritual. Our sinfulness is so sinful that we can, we can be so out of step with God that we can love this religion and customs more than God Himself. A life of self-indulgence is an offense to God's holiness. Next we'll see the abuse of grace will only lead to devastation. In verses 6 through 11, Amos lays out all the ways that God had sought them out. The judgments he had sent to them in order to show them the error of their ways, to come back to God. Like plagues God had sent before Pharaoh in Egypt in order to let his people go. These judgments had been sent one after the other that his people might return to him. As we go through each of these judgments that God has sent, I want you to see that there's no randomness or chance here. From Israel's point of view, they may have seen these things as, as just random occurrences that happened to them. But from God's point of view, there's nothing but His decisive action. Verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Cleanness of teeth, this meant famine. They had nothing stuck in their teeth from eating. God took away their food sources in hopes 
that they would repent and return to him, but they did not listen. Verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you. When there would be yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. And so two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water. It would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. God would deprive, in his sovereignty, he would deprive certain cities of water. The crops would die, and the occupants of these cities, instead of turning to God, they would just run to the next city where water was. And they had to get water, and they do this over and over again. They would never be satisfied. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He destroyed their gardens with disease and decay. This disease would not just kill their plants, it would kill their men as well. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, and yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The stench of dead bodies would be in their camps as men were killed by sword. And by disease. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He brought destruction upon them. Just as he had wiped out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, were, they would be burnt like a brand stuck in the fire and plucked out of the fire at the last second before they were fully destroyed. Chance after chance he had given them. All these ways trying to get their attention, but they did not listen. And now God declares that they are at the point of no return. Verse 12, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Meeting their God was something they had looked forward to. They were God's chosen people. But not now. They would be meeting God in His holiness, in His wrath against sin. This would be the final time and there would be no turning back from this. Listen to the description of this mighty God that stands over them in judgment. This Creator of all things. This warrior King, sovereign over all that He has made. For behold, He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. He fashioned all of creation through his word and by his might. In his wisdom, he knows the entirety of all human thoughts. All our thoughts and desires, they are subject to him. He is the one who spoke light into being, and he can just as easily turn it to darkness. The title, the God of hosts, this refers to, the, to a troops of soldiers, heavenly hosts, unlimited in power, the cosmos, the control of the cosmos at his command. This is the God that these sinners will meet, the one whose grace they have abused time and time again. Hebrews 4 tells us, and no creature is hidden from his sight 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Those that have lived for self and abused His grace, they will be devastated. And just like them, one day we too will give an account. Eternity in heaven or in hell will be on the line. Did we live for self or did we live for Him? Did we abuse the grace God gave us? Or did we live in it? Israel had received these judgments repeatedly. These wake-up calls again and again, but they would not listen. In our lives today, as we what this would mean for us, where might God be continually telling us to wake up? Where might He be trying to get your attention, sending warning signs so that you would turn to Him? We see God speaking through His Word in Isaiah 45. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does these things. Just like Israel, we can believe that so many things that happen to us are just random. But might there be areas in your life that you have failed to recognize as discipline from the Lord? His loving hand calling you to repent. His loving hand calling you to more faithfulness in Him. Maybe it's even this morning and He is blessing you with this grace to hear these words so that you would turn and seek His face before it is too late. We are not promised tomorrow. Stop your sinning today. Stop living in self-reliance today. Be intentional today. There will come a time when God will judge us in our sin, a time where our abuse of His grace was going to be cut off. I can look back in my life and say that some of the most shallow and vapid parts of my life is when I was living and thinking for me. All about me. It will not satisfy. Brothers and sisters, beloved, live for Him. In Him is where joy is found, where our hope abides. It is found in nothing else. The judgments that God had sent, this message that He sent with Amos, they come from a loving hand that desires to see His people return to Him. And this same loving hand sent Jesus so that we may not face this sovereign God in His wrath. When we hear the words, prepare to meet your God, for all who are trusting in Christ instead of dread, absolute dread, we adopted sons and daughters anticipate the loving embrace of our Lord. He sent Christ so that we would have riches untold. Not indulging in self, but living for the eternal joy that we have in Him. His perfect life in a believer's faith and repentance, it becomes ours. And this is the righteousness that all who are in Christ have as we stand before the Father in judgment. He didn't just die for our sin, 
But in His majesty, He rose again from the grave, showing His power to defeat sin and death once and for all. And one day, we will give an account for whose righteousness that we stand upon. I'm sure in response to Amos, many of these Israelites saw themselves as righteous before God. But they were deceived. As you think about one day standing face to face with your Maker, meeting the holy, sovereign God of the universe, what feelings come to mind? What thoughts are evoked? Giving an account for the way that you lived. For those that aren't living for Jesus today, it's not too late to repent and to place your faith in Him. His grace is sufficient for you. Any member here would love to talk with you after the service about how you can have this new life in Him. The sinfully deceived They, however, will not be the only ones judged. Even secure believers resting in what Christ has done for us will give an account for their actions. They'll be tested by fire. And the stuff of eternal worth, the stuff that mattered in this life, will stand in the fire. While our living for ourself will be burned up. We see this in 1 Corinthians. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. On that day, may our building upon the foundation be things of eternal worth. May we rejoice as we receive his reward. May we not be guilty of abusing the grace that we have been given. May it sit with us as we leave here, as we conclude that He has called His people from, a, from religion, from the ritual of religion to repentance. In His loving judgments, He gets our attention so that we may not face Him with dread. And there will come a time when those who choose to live in self-indulgence, they will face judgment and there will be no more time to reconcile with their Maker. May we respond to his loving judgments before it is too late. Let's pray. God, may we give you the glory you are due. In no way can we ever return the way in which you have loved us. You have given so much. Lord, may we see what we have in you, Lord. May we see the idol of self, the deceptiveness of our ritual of religion. And may we repent. May we be people marked by repentance. Grow us in our love for you. Thank you for your loving judgments and calling us back to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen.